Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. He has Parliament Hill on speed dial, and they know when the phone rings, no comment is not an option. This is The Roy Green Show. province around we will make sure ontario is the greatest place on earth to live to do business and to raise a family and we will make ontario once again the engine of canada well there's the premier-elect as though you didn't know doug ford and uh, four years now for a Ford administration, and the question is, how much time will voters give him? We'll talk to Daryl Bricker about that in just a second, the CEO of Ipsos. Also, uh, we're talking about uh, the G7 as we go through the pro- program today. What a grumpy crew, huh? Really on each other's backs and at each other's throats in a diplomatic way. Donald Trump perhaps not so much in the diplomatic sense. But when I looked at what it costs, it's outrageous, $605 million, $605 million. And uh, it says here, this is for the summit and associated meetings before and after, $605 million. The last time Canada held one, 2010, it was $305 million. And uh, <laughs> 20 times... The cost of the 1988 summit, which was $29.3 million, $605 million. Now, I don't know about you, but I doubt that we will get our money's worth out of that. There's a breakdown of some of the expenses. We'll be able to get at that a little later. Sad news over the last few days. Charles Krauthammer celebrated U.S. political commentator, author, columnist, uh, television well, I suppose, uh, opinion deliverer. Uh, It was very sad to hear that Charles announced yesterday through a spokesperson that he only has a few weeks left to live, that uh, cancer he's been fighting has really spread through his body. I had the opportunity in 2014 to interview Charles Crudhammer, and uh, we were able to find that interview. And throughout the show today and then again tomorrow, we'll play you clips of what Charles Krauthammer shared with us. He started out as a left-wing liberal and then gravitated more and more to the right. I spoke with him about Keystone Pipeline, which in 2014 was still very much in play and very much in uh, uh, likely to happen. And one of the things that Charles Krauthammer told me, and we should be able to play that for you before the end of tomorrow's show, 
is that there is no way in the world that Canada's oil resources would stay in the ground, that people are going to try to make that happen, but there's no way in the world that could ever take place. Well, we're not so sure about that now. So we have that coming for you. Pat Cadell was an American pollster and political film consultant, served as chief pollster and senior advisor for the Democratic Party presidential candidates, George McGovern and Jimmy Carter. And then Pat Cadell became the personal advisor to President Carter from 1977 to 81. Pat Cadell is going to be joining us today. And uh, we'll speak with him about the rise of national populism, totally disastrous book tour for Bill Clinton, illegal border crossings, and immigration acceptance. So lots, lots on the agenda today. Thursday, though, we we knew it was going to happen, that the conservatives were going to win. The progressive conservative party of Ontario was going to win the election. Um, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos, told us as much uh, last Saturday. And so here we are, Daryl. Thank you again for making time. Here we are with the with Premier Elect Doug Ford. Um, was there anything at all surprising to you about about the victory? Perhaps the, the scope of victory? Did anything take you by surprise Thursday night? Well, the overall result didn't take me by surprise, but uh, I think everybody was a little bit surprised by the fact that the turnout was up, and that the turnout wasn't millennials. Because normally when we see an increase in terms of turnout, it's younger voters getting uh, getting behind a particular choice, like we saw with uh, Justin Trudeau. But this time around, it was their moms and dads that showed up and, and, and elected Doug Ford. So the size of his victory, I think, was uh, generally he kind of petered out and weren't able to bring those younger voters to the polls uh, to the degree that it looked like they might be able to was a bit of a surprise. But in terms of the overall result, I mean, we talked about it the last time we were together. Uh, 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 <laughs> it, it, it was just not good for, for the NDP. Let's just leave it that way. Well, I, I was wondering what it was Andrea Horvath was cheering about because uh, Sure, they're the official opposition, and I've never quite understood what official opposition really means. All it means is you're lost. Um, but she was cheering the, the 40 seats that they had. Maybe that is something to cheer about. Maybe she was also trying to make sure that nobody steps up immediately and tries to take her job away from her. But is there was there a message in the Ford victory to the next two uh, elections, and those are the ones in Alberta and federally next October when Justin Trudeau will be up against Andrew Scheer and Mr. Singh? Well, I think that what we're seeing is a general rise of the, uh, if you want to call it the right, Roy, on, uh, in Canadian politics. The pendulum tends to swing one way and then swings back the other. I don't think that there's anybody who'd be seriously right now saying with any probability where they'd have to put money on the table that Rachel Notley has a very strong chance in Alberta. But where we're really going to be seeing this play itself out will be in the next, next federal election. And the question is whether or not the Trudeau uh, administration, and particularly his political advisors, but Justin Trudeau himself, uh, really took anything out of Ontario as any sort of signal. Uh, the danger for them in looking at Ontario the way that political advisors might look at it is that, oh, it was just a clapped-out government that just got pushed out because people got tired of them. No, it was more than that. And the question is whether or not they, they understand that that was actually happening. I, something more was happening. I'm not optimistic that they actually do get it. Well, they'd better, and I think it's particularly noteworthy that you pointed out that it's not the millennials who voted, but it's their mothers and fathers. So if they're committed to voting in Ontario, 
I sense that certainly the ones in the province of Ontario, which has the largest voting population as far as single provinces are concerned, I have a sense they'll be very much engaged next fall. Well, yeah, when you look at the dynamics now, Roy, of, of how politics works, it's, it's, there's a right and there's a left. I mean, the old politics was one in which everybody tried to occupy the center. Right. And maybe a little bit more left or a little bit more right. Well, that's gone. And essentially what we have now is on the left, the NDP now pushing the Liberals to be more left. In the previous election, it was the Liberals pushing the NDP to be more left. And the Conservatives moving a bit more to the right. Uh, and uh, that center place being evacuated. The problem that the, the, the folks on the, on the progressive side of the agenda have is that they have two choices. On the conservative side, they only have one. And that one choice can kind of moderate or get a little more uh, strong on the right. But on the left, what the only direction it can really go is more left. So it's going to be very interesting when we get into this campaign, not so much the competition between progressives and conservatives, but the competition among progressives as who can be the standard bearer for, for uh, that particular side of the political agenda. In Ontario, it was Andrea Horvath. In the last federal election, it was Justin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to uh, Doug Ford. How deep is the Ford support, and how long will voters wait for his promises to be kept before they begin to grouse? Well, I think that the, the change part of the agenda is going to go on for a while here. I think people are going to revel a little bit in the not just the... Uh, maybe potential policy changes that you're going to see, but probably in terms of the tonal changes, you know, a little less finger-wagging and sanctimoniousness from Queen's Park, I think will probably be well-received by the people who, uh, who elected Doug Ford. But at the end of the day, what they're going to expect him to do is make their lives more affordable. And in four years, if he can't do that, then he will be held to account. Yeah. And I would imagine what he does between now and next fall may very well have an impact on the federal election. Oh, absolutely. Again, you know, I think the the federal liberals are probably looking at the possibility of of running against Doug Ford and and licking their chops. And there's probably a bit of a concern among the the conservative party about what Doug Ford might mean for them. Uh, But everybody's counting on him not being, you know, well received by Ontarians and us kind of descending into the same kind of stuff that we, we see south of the border right now. But if that doesn't happen, then it's kind of tough for the Liberals to run against Doug Ford. And in fact, what it does is probably elevates the Conservative brand for Andrew Scheer. What's interesting, Roy, these days is that uh, the uh, Ontario politics is kind of taking an outsized role in terms of defining the political choices at the national level on both the progressive side and the conservative side. So, for example, you see in uh, uh, the federal political numbers right now that the Liberals have come down to where the Conservatives have, and the Conservatives have come up. That's not generally what a lot about what's happening at the federal level. It's the brands being affected in Ontario. So this, what's happened, just happened in Ontario, is going to play, I would say, a pretty big role in the next federal election campaign. You know, uh, Daryl, I would not bet against Doug Ford. I've had the opportunity to speak with him uh, off the air and on the air, not during the campaign on the air, which was surprising. But anyway, they chose to do it their way. And they were successful, so I suppose they're, they can point at that. But I would not bet against Doug Ford. Uh, he's a he's a smart guy. He understands. He understands. He can read the streets, if that makes sense. Well, you know, I think we get a little obsessed in politics about the conversation that takes place between the media and politicians, and we forget that the media is really a conduit to the public. And when somebody can have a more direct conversation with the public 
and resonates with them, they don't necessarily have to do that well with the media. And so what ends up happening is, you know, we go back and we take a look at the debates and we say, well, you know, Doug Ford was not a great debater. No guff. He was, he was not good in the debates. He was, certainly wasn't as good as Andrew Horvath and especially not as good as, as, as Kath, uh, Kathleen Wynne. But the truth is, it doesn't matter. He was good in his conversation with that coalition of conservative voters right. that he needed to win. So I'm sure that the various media outlets, particularly the ones that are more on the left, are going to have a field day making fun of Doug Ford. The problem is what they're also doing is making fun of the people who voted yep. for him, and that will be their big mistake, and actually, to a certain extent, Doug Ford's salvation. Daryl, always great speaking with you. Thank you for all the time you've given us leading up to the campaign and then again today. Thank you so much. Uh, Roy, you're very kind. I really appreciate being on your show. Thank you very much. Daryl Bricker, the CEO of Ipsos, great polling firm internationally and uh, also the author of some terrific books um, about change in this country and, and change is taking place, clearly. People, I think, well, we've talked about this. You know, we first really started to get into it when the U.S. presidential um, primaries were just getting started. There was this groundswell of opinion that things were going to have to change. And... Uh, I said at the time that I was starting to notice this even three years ago, that people were just not willing to be lectured and hectored by people in political office who had applied for a job. My number is 1-800-263-2428, 1-800-263-2428. So why did Doug Ford destroy the Liberal Party and crush the NDP in Ontario? You tell me, why do you think that happened? Why did Doug Ford manage to destroy the Liberal Party, and they were destroyed, or crush the NDP? And should Rachel Notley in Alberta, and should Justin Trudeau federally expect the same shove out of the door from voters? If you're in Alberta, 800-263-2428. Anywhere in Canada, 800-263-2428. Why did Ford destroy the Liberals and crush the NDP? And should Notley and Trudeau expect the same treatment from voters uh, early or late next winter in Alberta and in the fall of 2019 federally? Give me a call. One of the most respected and experienced broadcasters in the industry. This is The Roy Green Show. change for the better. We have won more seats than we have held in a generation. Yeah, and she lost. Andrea Horvath and the NDP. Yeah, they have more seats than they've had for, uh, for a long time since... 1990, when Bob Ray won. But what's with all the cheering for finishing so far behind the conservatives of Doug Ford? As I said to Daryl Bricker, perhaps it's a situation where Ms. Horvath wants to make sure that nobody just jumps for her job immediately. She's now been through three election campaigns and hasn't been able to score a victory in any of them. But, uh, yeah, one of my friends called me and... Uh, 
said, how did you feel about, about Ford's win? And I said, almost as good as I felt about Mike Harris winning in 1995. I'd gotten to know Mike Harris very well, and Ontario needed Mike Harris in 1995, following the Bob Ray NDP disaster. And, uh, yeah, Doug Ford has an opportunity now and a responsibility. And I think he's going to live up to what he's promised. Except for the fact he hasn't talked to me for, for a while. What's up with that, Doug? Did they tell you not to talk to me during the campaign? Because I might ask questions that were just a little bit too difficult to get at. I, I don't believe that I would have done that, but I don't think I could outsmart you like that. But I mean, a a Andrea talked to me, but and I knew when wouldn't. That was never, ever going to happen. But I was really surprised that your people made no effort. But I heard also from other media people that they kind of had you uh, tied up. But congratulations on the win, and you know how to reach me if you ever want to talk on the radio and have, you know, just thank voters. I know you've done that already, but anyhow. 800-263-2428. Why, why, was it, why was it Ford? Why did he win the way he did? And what's the message to Rachel Notley and to Justin Trudeau? What messages have the Ontario voters sent to Rachel Notley in Alberta and to Justin Trudeau federally? Russell joins us from Edmonton. How are you, Russell? Very good. Thank you, Roy. Good afternoon. Good day, sir. Go ahead, please. Well, I think that uh, throughout our Canadian political history, certainly most recently, we've, uh, we've, we've shown as a collective voter that we tend to vote leaders and political parties out of office rather than voting somebody in. And I think what happened in Ontario is people, after 15 years, were, were just fed up with what they've seen in, in green energy debacle and the hydro, hydro debacle, consistent taxation. Joe and Jane Sixpack only have once every four to five years, Roy, to go out and express their vote of how they feel. And that's our only opportunity as a referendum, as a voter in this country. In my opinion, it's not enough. When we see politicians behave irresponsibly, but unfortunately, that's the way our democratic process works. All right, Russell, thank you for the call. In Edmonton, 800-263-2428. I have to take a break here. I was going to ask Russell what he thought was going to happen to Notley, but I have a sense that I know what he was going to say. And what is going to happen to Justin Trudeau next fall? I mean, I don't want him to get reelected. That will not surprise anybody. But has the Ontario vote, the Ontario decision, served as a precursor that Mr. Trudeau is going to be gone next fall? 800-263-2428. More of your calls when we come back. Proudly Canadian and making Canada proud. This is The Roy Green Show. You can follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show or listen back to anything that we air on the podcast, uh, RoyGreenShow.com. You know what really upsets people? I'll go to your calls in a second. What really upsets people, and it's got me um, blowing smoke out of my ears, $605 million 
for the Gab Fest for the G7 in Quebec. $605 million for a couple of days. And what's the communication been to us? We've been getting second-hand, third-hand, uh, unhappy reviews from Mr. Trump and Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Macron and then the the observer, the European Union president's got to get his words in. Who cares what who cares what he thinks? Seriously. Six hundred and five million dollars. What do we get for that? Essentially very little. And remember the very first time they had one of these in Canada, it was twenty nine point three million dollars. This one's six hundred and five. And the CBC reports the security budget for this year's summit is $396 million alone. Anyway, um, Donald Trump said in part, this is from today, Reuters is reporting, we're like the piggy bank that everybody's robbing. Um, It's going to stop now or we'll stop trading with them. And uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel acknowledged differences between the United States and the six other members of the G7, but said a joint statement on trade was expected to be issued at the end of the two-day summit in La La Malbaie in Quebec. The joint statements really mean nothing. They are just chosen for their diplomatic non-meaning. And that's what upsets people. Here's a bit of what Donald Trump said. It'll have a sunset. You have the two sunsets. I mean, you have... uh... ISDS provision and a sunset provision. They've been very heavily negotiated. Uh, You have two sunsets, two concepts of sunset. Uh, We're pretty close on the sunset division. So whatever that means, I think that has to do with NAFTA. Let's go to your calls at 800-263-2428, 1-800-263-2428. Why Doug Ford won. See, this is the reason, one of the reasons that Doug Ford won was this sort of thing, $605 million for a two-day international gab fest. And you know why Macron was here earlier, before the G7 started? So that he and Justin could work out what they were going to say, tag-team Donald Trump. You say this, I'll say this. You say this, I'll counter with that. You know, I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. So why did, why did Doug Ford win? Your thoughts, 800-263-2428, 1-800-263-2428. And is there a message, is there a message for Rachel Notley and for Justin Trudeau for next year? Mel is in Innisfil, Alberta, joining us on The Green Show. Hi, Mel, go ahead, please. <laughs> Good afternoon, Roy. Hi. Uh, where is it morning there? Uh, no, it's afternoon. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, you're right, this... These guys meeting for, like, G7, have they not ever heard of conference calling where they can stay in their own country and still communicate in a conference setting? It's supposed to be a show. Oh, I'll let yeah. It's supposed to be a show for us, for we, the, the unwashed, the uninformed, the unintelligent, sorry, the deplorables. Yeah, it's about time there's a moratorium on that. And another thing, the well, gauging... Like, I'm a senior, so gauging what the atmosphere is out here in Alberta, the electorate, and I'm suspecting the same thing has happened in Ontario, are sick and tired of out-of-control spending and the, I guess, the non-communication 
with there, you know no reasons or ex- explanations on the spending or or just flat out lying about it well that's isn't that a prerequisite for politicians maybe but anyway um yeah it's the i think the same thing's going to happen here in alberta i the out of control spending and uh the incremental fee increases and whether you so, want to so 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 tell me wrong. so tell me this in alberta is is it going to be jason kenny who will be the next premier well like i'm not a party person and i don't really think what's your gut tell i'm asking you what your gut's telling oh, you yeah. about it's it's going to be jason kenny okay it's not going to be the alberta party it's no. not going to be the liberal party they're not going to win in alberta I it's not going to be anybody who's going to sneak up the middle and somehow make some spectacular entrance with fireworks between now and next, uh, what is it, from uh, somewhere between early January and the end of May, they have to have the election in Alberta. So, yeah. So so you think you say it's going to be Kenny, he'll be the next premier. Yes, I'm afraid so. You're afraid so. Well, you know what? People just, in many people just don't trust any part of the political process anymore. This is one of the key reasons why we've argued for such a long period of time that we should have what the Swiss have, which is true democracy, and that is referendum every three months or every four months, a series of referenda throughout the year where the citizens essentially decide what's going to be the course the country will take. So if Mel, who just called us from Alberta, had an idea or a concept that he wanted to put forward that he thought should be law federally, he could introduce that to some friends in Alberta, if they signed on, then they'd get into the petition process, and it would become available to everybody in Canada. Everyone in the country would become aware of this initiative. And it would either get a lot of attention or very little attention. If it got a lot of attention, you know, there'd be a better chance that people would respond to it. But if a majority of people in Canada, if this were the Swiss system, if a majority of people in this country were to go with Mel's idea, whatever it happened to be, if a majority of people who happened to vote on it on that particular day on the referendum decided that Mel's initiative had to become law, it would become law, and the Swiss government, federal government, would have no choice. The Swiss constitution says that the vote of the people of Switzerland supersedes the point of view of the government each and every time. That's the Constitution. So somebody in Switzerland can come up with an idea, lower taxes, uh, what are, you, you name it. They had one in immigration not long ago. And the majority of Swiss people said they didn't want any mass migration into their country, and so that supposed to become law constitutionally, but we were told by our contact in the Swiss government on the air that the government is trying to hedge its bets on it, but eventually it's going to have to, and sooner than later, they'll have to follow the will of the people because that is the constitution, not here. Make a dozen promises in the election campaign, don't keep any, and you're still in power for four years if you manage to lie better than the next guy or gal. Robert in Caledon, Ontario. How are you, Robert? Not bad, Roy. How are you doing? Good, sir. Thank you for the call. Please go ahead. Roy, it's, I think it's the beginning of the trend now to go back to reality. We've had this fantasy world now with eight years or 15 years of liberalism in Ontario, three years now almost of Justin and, and the boy George of the Canadian political scene. 
people want to get back to reality. People that have families to raise. People have a, a country to worry about. This prime minister doesn't respect our borders. He has no respect for the people. That's why Doug Ford won. Doug Ford won more because people want to send a message that Trudeau has to go. And now the infrastructure and the, all the riding associations in Ontario. Trudeau's days are numbered. You know they should be. Job the UN. They should. He has not done a sufficiently decent job. To deserve being reelected, he has not done the job. Just his weird affection is—I think it's a dangerous affection—or his his uh, laissez-faire attitude toward terrorists is terribly disturbing. Terribly disturbing. And the fact that we go back to this, but it's significant that after the six days in in office, he gave the interview to the New York Times, in which he stated he wanted Canada to be the first post-national state. Why would a brand-new Prime Minister of Canada tell the New York Times his ambition is to see Canada as the first post-national state? Why? Because he's not all there in the head, Roy. Well, no, but doesn't, but, but doesn't that just compromise everything that he's going to do or provide a sharp focus on everything he's going to do for the rest of his tenure? Because your assumption then is that what he's going to do isn't going to be for Canada, but it's going to be for his globalist point of view. His personal agenda. And the other thing I think uh, Mr. Uh, Ford should be looking at in Ontario is a provincial referendum on education, of, of combining the public and separate school board into one so we can save 25% of our educational dollar and build a better system. That's something we should be looking at. Okay, Robert, appreciate the call in Cal- Caledon, Ontario. Uh, one thing that I really think that Doug Ford is going to do, he's, he's going to listen to people. I truly believe that he's going to listen to people and and you'll get a response from Doug Ford. No matter what the Toronto Star may tell you. Ian in Toronto, go ahead, please, sir. Thank you for the call. Uh, thanks for taking my call there, Roy. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, like, I mean, I think the average Joe and Gene, they get it. They, they understand. But the left in this country, or actually in North America and Europe, they are so ideologically bent on their final solution to the world's, you know, problem of, you know, some people are rich and some people are poor, that the left and, and I think a, a vast majority of the media, they're going to push, they're going to bully, and they're going to make this a very, very difficult time for Rob Ford. They're going to pounce on, or Doug Ford, sorry. It's all right. The, the that happens. It's going to happen to people. But, you know, this is going to be... A very, very difficult job for Doug Ford. He is going to have to be on his P's and Q's because no one is going to let one of his words slip. Let me just just suggest something to you here. If that happens, if it becomes a witch hunt, a media witch hunt, and there's every possibility of that happening, certainly with some media organizations, there's every possibility it will happen. I believe that at least initially those media organizations will get pushback from people who voted for Ford or people who are more conservatively bent. You see, my feeling is that the left is louder, but they're smaller in number. The right or conservative, these right and center right, uh, I think are, 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 there's more people to the right and center right than there are to the left. It's just the left are louder and have more support from mainstream media. Well, the right and the center right must start speaking up and telling people, yeah. just because I disagree with you yeah. does not mean I'm 
a a racist, a homophobe, um, anti-Muslim, anti-whatever. No, I have an opinion. You're running roughshod over my values. Ian, and I stand Ian, up for myself. Ian, I think that what, if you respond to someone calling you a bigot, a racist, a homophobe, a misogynist, any number of terms they don't really properly understand, but they know that it's going to get a rise out of you, just ignore them. You don't have, there's no obligation that you have to reply. There's no obligation for you to respond. There's no obligation for you to define who you are. Just ignore them. They don't deserve a response. You know who you are. You know what you are. Don't respond to people who are accusing you of something you're not. Just ignore them. Hmm? I was in college. I'm an older man now. I'll be 50 this year. And I just, you know, 15 years ago got into the trades and actually went to college to become a plumber. And I made just an offhand joke, you know, one day. There was a guy in class, you know, he always trying to do things cheap way, cheap way, cheap way. And I just asked him one day, you know, he made a comment in class. I said, you, you try to be a Chinese plumber or a Jewish plumber? And my, my teacher lost his mind. You can't say that. You'll get me fired. I said, well, I'm of Scottish background. How, how, if I had inserted Scottish into the, the equation. I'm not, I'm really, I didn't quite understand what you were saying there, but. Well, I said, he, he was always trying to do the job cheaper. I who, said, who is? A guy in my class. Okay. You know? Well, teacher, what if we did this and we eliminated that? I said, are you a Chinese plumber or are you, are you trying to be a Jewish plumber? And my teacher freaked out on me. He yeah, said, well, well, you I'm know what? I'm, I, I'd, I'd call you out on that, too. But I said, well, okay, said, I said, I'm sorry, but if I had inserted Scottish, would that have mattered? Yeah, no, no, but, but to, to, truthfully, not. truthfully, I would have called you out on it. At least I would have wanted a more specific explanation from you. Ian, I've got to take a break. When we come back, I want to play back some, we'll do this over the weekend, some of my interview with Charles Krauthammer in 2014. Stay with us. <laughs> 